And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning and welcome to the Hub Day edition of The Real Investment Show. Of course, I'm your host, Lance Roberts. Brent Clanton driving our Link Challenge bus today. And Danny Ratliff um, riding in the back of the Link Challenge bus coming in today. So he was always that guy. He was always that guy in high school at the back of the bus tormenting everybody else. You know, that was Danny. Throwing spit wines. It was. Yeah. It was always, you know, this, that, was, that, he, that was him. <laughs> And you can tell he's he's kind of angry. You know, I can time. see that. Yeah, no, yeah. He was a bully. I can tell. He just had that feeling. He so. wasn't a bully. He was just a pest. <laughs> well, that hasn't changed. <laughs> Ask his wife. So. <laughs> anyway, welcome to the show this morning. Of course, uh, yesterday the conversation was really two things for the most part. Of course, uh, the State of the Union address last night. Um, met with both jeers and cheers all the way through the speech uh, as, you know, talking about kind of your view, right? It depends on how you view things, right? Uh, you know, talking about how gas prices have come down. So that's a, that was good, right? And gas prices, unfortunately, they're still about $1.50 higher than they were when he took office. So, you know, it just depends on what angle of the economic data that you want to look at and how you parse that speech last night. Um, but the other big news, of course, yesterday was Jerome Powell. And as we had said yesterday morning, you know, kind of an expectation he would be a little bit more hawkish potentially after that big run up from his last speech. He wasn't. He basically came out and said pretty much the same thing. And markets took off and, and rose up over about one and a half percent yesterday by the close, um, pushing back up to that three standard deviation uh, area. So after a brief little three-day sell-off, and as I noted yesterday, even though we had this little sell-off over the last couple of days, it was still very bullish because stocks were closing higher than where they opened. So despite the market pulling back in price, we had what's called green candles. So in other words, the market was you know, opening, but then closing higher by the end of the day. Um, that's kind of bullish. That suggests that more buyers than sellers, even though prices, <clears throat> even though the market was coming down as a whole. Uh, yesterday, though, because of that speech, we're right back up to where we were um, really kind of last Thursday. So again, not much has changed here. Market's still pretty overbought on a short-term basis, but on a weekly basis, you know, the bullish trends are certainly improving. And this is the thing that we need to pay attention to. Um, you know, in our, in our um, kind of weekly report, we talk about, you know, kind of the underlying technical structure of the market that has been improving markedly. And again, you know, while there's a lot of talk by the kind of the mainstream media, it's like, oh, this is just another bear market rally. There are differences to this rally this time that we did not have previously that are much more constructive, you know, uh, from, you know, uh, stronger breadth in terms of the New York advanced decline line. Um, you've got a negative divergence between asset prices and rising weekly sentiment and momentum indicators, which are all turning more positive. So this is all suggest that this market is indeed moving back more into bullish territory. So, you know, it, it is what it is. And, and no matter how you want to kind of look, there's a lot of bad economic data out there. I certainly, you know, agree with you on that. But that economic data is becoming less bad, which is also encouraging the bulls to, at this point to start improving. Quarter one GDP right now, 
So quarter four, quarter three, quarter four, we had two negative quarters of GDP growth in the first half of last year, then two positive quarters of growth in the third and fourth quarter. First quarter GDP growth right now estimated by the Atlanta Fed to be at 2% annualized. So again, you know, there's no real sign of a sharp economic weakness kind of permeating through the overall economy. Um, you know, so this is just kind of one thing to consider. So, I mean, if you've got a much more kind of negative view of the world and everything's going to end this year, the market's trying to tell you that something's a little bit different. And again, doesn't mean we're not going to have a pullback. Markets are very extended, very overbought. We talked about yesterday, we're starting to get very close to triggering sell signals on a couple of different levels that would suggest the markets will pull back. And they've gone too far too fast but that's likely gonna be a buying opportunity, not a selling opportunity. So again, look for, you know, again, take some profits here for sure, but on that pullback, you know, look for an opportunity to put some money, money back to work. Uh, one thing we'll talk about this morning too, the, you know, kind of the big thing last year, and we wrote an article about why FANG stocks weren't dead in November of last year, uh, kind of right at the market lows. And this was where everybody was, you know, talking about, Fang stocks are dead, technology's done, it's never coming back, and those have been the biggest performing shares you know, this year so far. And part of that is due to the fact that we now have a new toy to chase, which is AI. And you know, all of a sudden, you know, it was Web 2.0, now it's artificial intelligence. And if you take a look at any stock with an AI stuck on its name, it reminds me a lot of 1999. Uh, back in 1999-2000, you, you are all probably too young to remember this, but <laughs> back in 1999-2000, stocks were running like crazy. It didn't even matter what the company did. They were just changing their names and putting a .com at the end of it. Of course, we had the sock puppet with you know pets.com and everything else. But you know, if you just put .com at the end of your name, stock would take off running. And we kind of saw the same thing with cryptocurrency a couple of years ago. We saw a lot of companies changing their names just to be in the, you know, kind of be identified with the cryptocurrency space. A good, a good example of that was Square, which was the credit card processing company changed their name to Block because they were going to be more involved with blockchain. Um, and so, you know, that was a whole kind of a move in that direction. Now it's AI because of what's happening with ChatGPT. And now the fact that that's really gained a lot of, of visible dominance in the markets already. Microsoft's $10 billion investment. Microsoft announced yesterday that starting today, uh, they're going to start enabling ChatGPT and Bing in terms of making Bing much more <clears throat> chat friendly in terms of making searches. So again, already starting to roll this out. They're going to also make this a, a function of something they can sell to other businesses to incorporate. So AI is here. Question is, is when does AI become self-aware and Arnold Schwarzenegger shows up? That's the only question. I'm sorry, Dave. <laughs> I can't do that. Wrong movie. Terminator. <laughs> Skynet. <laughs> Nobody remembers 2000 A Space Odyssey. That was every, Most people that saw that movie are dead now. Well, so. that's, that's, that's true, yeah. <laughs> so. Or in orbit. <laughs> so, yeah. Terminator, a little more recent. <laughs> anyway, AI, of course. Only 10 years difference between you and me, and look at that generational gap. I know, right? Exactly. <laughs> I saw Space Odyssey 2000 and 2001. I yes, saw them both. Yes. Saw them both <laughs> when I was like three. But. <laughs> 
All I remember is the monkey and the big square block. Yeah. That's all I can remember. <laughs> anyway. Um, but anyway, so AI is the new thing. That's the new hook. So companies are companies right now, any company uh, that has currently got AI stuck to their name has been experiencing huge runs over the last couple of days. Be careful uh, chasing these stocks. Just because they have AI stuck on their name doesn't mean they're going to be the next GPT. Uh, Google has already got Bard. They're all hands on deck to test Bard, which is their, their AI kind of chat bot as well. Other companies are doing the same thing. But just be careful when you're investing. And, and again, as always, make sure the company has some fundamentals. They're actually you know, creating some earnings you know, all those type of things and actually have a leg in that space where they may become, become a dominant player. Well, you know, and again, this is, you know, some companies are going to make it big and the vast majority of them are not. So make sure and choose wisely as you invest your capital. Okay. Uh, quick break. We're going to come back, pick up with Danny Ratliff to talk a little bit about timing the market versus time in the market. What should you do? They're both valid strategies but which one is right for you. We'll talk about that with Danny Ratliff right when we come back from the break. Get by the website, make sure you're subscribed to our newsletter, Daily Market Commentary, our Before the Bell YouTube channel, as well as this channel uh, right here uh, to get our, uh, our feeds every day. We have tons of stuff going out, new blog post out this morning, all at realinvestmentadvice.com. Be right back. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Is your partner cheating on you? Financial infidelity is a relationship buzzkill and a wealth destroyer. Just in time for Valentine's Day, our next Candid Coffee will address how to avoid financial infidelity. Saturday, February 11th with Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff. Build trust, improve your money talk, and pillow talk. Register today at realinvestmentadvice.com. How to avoid financial infidelity. Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. It is uh, 6, well, up here 6.15 already. Man. Uh, don't forget, gentlemen, Valentine's Day is uh, approaching rapidly. So this is your friendly real investment advice reminder to keep you out of physical trouble at home. I know we're going to have the fiscal upcoming seminar. We are. With you and Richard to talk about financial infidelity. But if you want to stay out of physical harm, make sure and buy your wife something nice. Valentine's Day right around the corner. I know it's a contrived Hallmark holiday, but nonetheless, they take it very seriously. <laughs> so They do. They do. You, we're, we're, I'm blessed. We don't celebrate Valentine's Day what? because of that reason. No. Hey, man, look, Michelle gets flowers throughout the year. I'm just not paying 100 bucks for some roses. It's not happening. I understand. Yeah, I don't have that luxury. <laughs> oh, she'll, we'll, we'll do something. It will not be on Valentine's Day, number one. I'm not paying that inflated cost. And if you're yeah. doing your job throughout the year, Lance, you shouldn't have to go I, I, go big for one stinking day because corporate America tells you you need to. It's, it's, Sorry. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, d I do. I do my job all year long and I better not miss Valentine's Day. <laughs> <laughs> I've been blessed Let's put that. Yeah. One. Yeah. So <laughs> you just have to maintain your winning streak. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that's right. 
can't screw this up and go big one day, then it's expected, right? Yeah. Exactly. That's the thing. See, that's the thing. You've you've trained her appropriately. Yes. Consistency you know. is key. Yeah. We had some some conversations at the very beginning of the relationship, and you know, luckily we see eye to eye monetarily. Yep. Our fiscal household policy is pretty tight when it comes to that kind of stuff. So. Yeah, I'm well, I had those same conversations with my wife, and we have a very good understanding. I mean, going into the relationship, you know, after being married previously, going to this one, I wanted to make sure that there was no misunderstanding about what my job roles were, what her job expectations were, et cetera. And we had that conversation, and that's all good. I just forgot the Valentine's Day part. Oh, well, <laughs> say, we, we still struggle with the, the job roles in the household, okay? Don't get me wrong, but, um, you know, I'm not sure you can ever, ever really level set those. Yeah, in that in those sense, right? I yeah, mean, it's true, it's true. I'm 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 pretty lucky, but yeah, I forgot to include. I forgot to put Valentine's Day on the list. So <laughs> in the prenup, in, in the in the, <laughs> in the prenup, I am still <laughs> obligated for Valentine's Day. So I wear the pants in the family. She just tells me what color to put on. I'm, I'm, oh, for <laughs> sure. Yeah, that's how that works. Exactly. Hey, but wait, wait a second. Now this last segment, you, you're saying I'm the bully in the back of the bus. <laughs> Yeah, I just imagined you growing up. You even up, know me. I just remember. I just you know we were talking about how you know Brent drives our Link Challenge bus here on the show, and you were probably in the back of that Link Challenge bus. That's all I'm saying. So shoot spit watch with your big pen. Exactly. No, no. Did you ever do that? Mm-mm. Really? Oh, he did. He did. He just he. Oh, he but I didn't do it remember. to random people. I did it to bullies. <laughs> Listen, we have a rule in our household, right? Like you can protect yourself. But if I ever find out that you're bullying somebody or you, oh, you know, yeah. and, and I've been blessed, kids don't don't act like that. But that's when we're going to have a problem. Yeah, no, I, I, told, I had that same conversation with my kids growing up. And I told them, I said, you, you know, you better never start a fight at school. That's right. But you better finish it. And yeah. and, and so I, never, I, was, I was lucky. Never had, I had a, he had a few few instances where he finished fights that he didn't start. We're working on that. Yeah. But. Yeah, my, my kindergarten got slapped yesterday, and we had that same conversation. He said, Dad, but I'll go to the principal's office. And I said, You, you know, go, I'll be, I'll meet you there. I, I, <laughs> and it'll be A-OK. As long as you're not starting, I don't find out that you're picking on people. You're bullying. And in fact, this other kid hit a little girl, and he went up to him and said, Hey, you know, you're not supposed to be doing that. And the kid smacked him. <laughs> he said, Oh, yeah, well, I'll get you too. I said, So what'd you do? He said, Well, I cried. I said, <laughs> OK, we're going to talk about this a little bit. How old is he? He's six. So kindergarten. So, yeah. yeah. All right. You, you pack lunch. I'll come over this weekend. Basic martial arts training. A- absolutely. So. Yeah. So we're going to have to toughen this dude up a little bit. <laughs> that, was, that was one advantage I had after teaching martial arts for 25 years. I just taught my kids. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> well, he's done it. I mean, he's just, he's like, Dad, I just don't want to get in trouble. <clears throat> Fair enough. Valid point. Yeah. However, you will not get in trouble in this house for that. <laughs> His exactly. heart's in the right place. Yeah. Exactly. No, yeah. I mean, it's. That's good. Yeah, but you know, this is uh, schools are out of control now. Anyway, I just kind of shut my eyes. <laughs> just, Glad I'm not know. there. Yeah. Anyway, uh, time in the market versus timing the market. That's kind of the, the big question. I've been, and there was actually an article out talking about Jeremy Siegel, and I've gotten a lot of you know email conversations lately. Um, you know, kind of interesting because again, when you take a look at a lot of the media commentary right now. It's uber bearish recessions coming, you know, so forth and so on. I was talking about a Jim Rickards video that's been making the loop here lately that, you know, is the end of the world and 
everything's going to crash and die and burn. You need to be in, you know, gold, precious metals, beanie weenies and ammo. Um, those things typically don't turn out to be that way, as we were talking about yesterday. And the important thing, though, is understanding time horizons also and the, you know, what time do you have between today and when you need your money for retirement? That has a much bigger consequence, or I should say influence, rather, on how you invest and when you invest and these type of things. And so, again, investing is very important because let's go back to the very basic premise, because one thing that we have forgotten in the markets today is why we invest. Now, if I ask you the question, Danny, why do you invest money? What's the, what, what is it, you know, what, what, if I ask you the question, why do you invest money? Why do you invest money? To meet an objective, right? To, to find additional ways for capital to grow, um, you know, whether that be to save for a house. Okay, I, I really wanted, a, I wanted a shorter answer, but, <laughs> but it's a good one. It, well, it is okay, a good one. okay, you know what? We do, we do radio for one word <laughs> answers. That's it from here on out. Yes. <laughs> I invest to make money. <laughs> That's what you're going to get. Yeah. <laughs> and we appreciate you for that. If I could just get rich. You want me to elaborate or not? <laughs> oh, goodness. No, the, the point is, is so the, 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 when you ask most people, why do you invest? Like, I want to be rich. Yeah. Right. So it's, it's about this wealth building idea. And that's really not why we invest. Danny actually had the right answer, which is we are investing for a reason or a goal. And that is still not the same thing as investing for wealth. In other words, when I'm investing my money, and let's say it's for Danny, as Danny said, to buy a house or to save for retirement, whatever it is. Investing is not taking $100 and turning it into a million dollars. That's not investing. That's speculation and gambling. Investing, at its very core nature, is about ensuring that our savings adjust for the purchasing power over time. In other words, it adjusts for inflation. The reason we invest is not to create wealth. It is actually to ensure that the purchasing power of our savings are growing over time. It's maintained. Maintaining. So the real key to building wealth, so if you think about it in these terms, the real key to building wealth or saving for a house or saving for retirement and this is why we call it, we go saving for a house. We don't call it investing for a house. We don't call it investing for retirement. We say saving for retirement is because when we're investing, we're making sure that our savings are adjusting for what retirement will cost us in the future because of inflation, right? And when you start thinking about it in, this, in these terms and take the gambling aspect out of investing, the speculation out of investing, it becomes a much more telling story about how and where and when do you invest money. So again, when we go talking about time in the market or timing the market, there's two camps. It's like being a bull or a bear. You know, one thing we talk about here on the show is don't be bullish or don't be bearish. You know, once you pick a camp, right? Danny's bearish all the time, right? He's in that camp. I'm not really, but I'm just using an example. You got a one-word answer for me? Uh, <laughs> I'm just gonna smile. <laughs> What are you going to do with that, Lance? <laughs> so, it, but once you pick a camp, whether you're bearish or bullish, right, you're locked into this view. So it's important to remain kind of above it and look down into the, the playing field for what it is 
And there are times to be bullish and there are times to be bearish. But it's but once you pick that camp one way or the other, you're, you're kind of booted into that philosophy. And it's the same thing for investing. When you pick a camp of, and again, this is this is a big hot debate in markets all the time, time in the market versus timing the market. And again, once you pick that camp, you're kind of locked into that view. But really, there's aspects of both in investing over a longer term time frame. You can both include timing the market as well as time in the market. And that has a very important outcome to navigating markets over time because again markets just don't appreciate every year at 8% annually. And this is this is kind of the conversation we're going to have this morning um you know talking about timing the market, time in the market, when do these work and and when are they important. So well I think timing timing versus time in you, it's it's part and parcel you do a little bit of both mm -hmm. and especially the way that we invest can, compared to where some people say hey we're all in or we're all out and trying to time that specifically, right. which most people don't get that right. I actually had this conversation with somebody yesterday, a client of ours, and we, we were talking about, he said, listen, Danny, I'm okay if you guys just want to get out and get on a sideline, go buy bonds, and then we'll go all in or, or, or go more towards you know, aggressive growth at some point in the future. Well, that's great, my conversation was, but most people will not do that because when we're ready to buy in earnest and really get a lot more aggressive, you're not going to be there. And it's kind of the way we are right now. Yeah. Right? I mean, markets are running up nicely. We're talking about, you know, a turn in bullish fundamentals and bullish technicals in the markets. And everybody's like, oh, this can't last, right? It's it's that already you're kind of seeing some of that denial that maybe you should be buying the market. That's It's tough to rationalize. That's the tough. issue. It is. and But that's the way it should be. Yeah. If you are at a market bottom, it's very tough to rationalize why you should be buying. Always the case. All right, but time in versus timing the market, something that Jeremy Siegel talked about back in 2000. We'll talk about that when we come back from the break and what the differences are and how to make it work for you. Don't go away. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com is your partner cheating on you Financial infidelity is a relationship buzzkill and a wealth destroyer. Just in time for Valentine's Day, our next Candid Coffee will address how to avoid financial infidelity. Saturday, February 11th with Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff. Build trust, improve your money talk, and pillow talk. Register today at realinvestmentadvice.com. How to avoid financial infidelity. Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso. Realinvestmentadvice.com. Your listening to The Real Investment Show. Let me read to you something from The Wall Street Journal, kind of set this stage for what we're talking about on time in versus timing the markets. First of all, let's uh, let me clarify what timing the market is. Um, this is a, a point that Danny alluded to in the last segment. There is a, a misnomer about timing the market. Timing the market is being all in or all out, 
right? You're either all cash or all in the market. That is timing the market. And and that will never work long term because you are eventually going to miss a turn in the market. So it's just the way things work. Um, nobody can successfully time the market that way, being all in or all out, successfully over a long-term time frame. Too many things happen. Too many things impact the market. When we talk about managing risk, we are talking about increasing and reducing exposure to portfolios, and people immediately assume that by doing that, we are timing the market. We're all in or all out, and that's not the case. We are never all out of the markets. Um, there are times, like now, that we're not all the way in because of fundamental reasons or technical reasons or whatever it is. So there's a big difference. And this is when we're talking about the marriage of timing and time in the markets, this becomes a much more crucial concept to understand. But let me read to you this article from the Wall Street Journal. Uh, until, uh, until the recent sell-off, the NASDAQ market enjoyed, uh, has, has enjoyed quite a run, surpassing important benchmarks for the first time as the Dow Jones Industrial Average went through a correction. But are the high valuations of tech stocks that drive the NASDAQ index justified? History suggests that the answer is no. In the late 1960s, Polaroid was the top of its game, dominating the photographic field and enjoying one of the market one market success after another. Investors bid the stock up to an unheard of 95 times earnings. Never before had a large capitalization stock been priced so high, but Polaroid's earnings had exceeded 40% year over year for the previous 14 years, and the future seemed even brighter. The point of the article is talking about valuations on tech stocks. And this goes back to the article that I wrote in at the market lows back in October about are FANG stocks dead? Because, again, there have been tons of articles written, FANG stocks are dead because they're overvalued, et cetera. And they have been on fire. <laughs> literally since the beginning of the year because money's just piling into growth under the assumption that disinflation is now coming back and inflation is on its way out. And disinflation is good for companies that have the ability to grow earnings. Now, the article that I just referred to was written by Jeremy Siegel at Wharton University back in 2000. March of 2000, to be exact. He wrote this at the peak of the dot-com bubble at the time. But if you'd taken this article at face value, as he wrote it back then, and stayed out of tech stocks, yes, you would have done okay for a couple of years, um, and then you would have missed massive runs in technology over the course of the, of the next 20 years, right? And this is, this is part of the problem uh, when we talk about markets because there are a lot of dynamics to markets that you have to account for. And while valuations are very important because they do dictate future returns on capital, there are other influences in the market today that did not exist back in 2000. There are, there are influences in asset prices that occur today, not just the Federal Reserve, by the way, that's one of them, but there are other influences as well driving asset prices that are making it much more difficult to navigate markets than maybe they should be. Part of this is the passive indexing problem that we've talked about before. When people are jumping into the markets today, they don't pick individual stocks, they buy ETFs. All that money flows into the top holdings of those ETFs on a market cap weighted basis. And that's why you see stocks like NVIDIA, AMD, Microsoft, Apple, Google yesterday, big gains in those sectors. 
because money's chasing technology right now. And so those passive indexes are driving names higher that rank in the top of those ETFs. And that makes it a much more difficult case when you're trying to time the market, right? Just as it was in 2000, tech stock valuations are very high today. We were talking about companies yesterday, right? We were talking about Chipotle Mexican Group. They make burritos, for God's sake. They trade at six times price to sell. So that's <laughs> astronomically expensive for a burrito company, right? That's tech stock expensive. But there's a lot of tech stocks still trading at 9, 10, 11 times price to sell. Very expensive. You can make the argument that these things should have correction and they should go down to a lot, and some of them have, you know, Zoom, Peloton, others. We've talked about those, the ARC holdings. But now they're coming back. And so the question is, is how do you navigate this market? And now, because of the brief, the brief correction that we had last year, and now the market up, you know, 15% this year so far on the NASDAQ and, you know, 7 8% on the S&P, immediately there's a lot of articles being written now about, see, just forget about trying to time the market, just stay in it and just ride this thing out over time. And there's certainly, you know, over the last 10, 12, 13 years since the Federal Reserve started, you know, injecting liquidity into the market since 2008, that has certainly been the case. Markets have just risen in value. And so just being in the market has, has done very well for a lot of investors. But over the next 10 years, the question is, what's that going to look like? Danny, your thoughts? Well, not only what does it look like, but for each individual, this is much different. If you're in distribution mode and you're riding this thing down, I mean, look, Lance, we talked to a lot of people um, towards the end of the year who called in or, or we said, or I had a lot of clients who said, listen, we were at Christmas or Thanksgiving my brother, or my, my sister, my coworker, they're down 25, 30, 35%, some even more because they've always been super aggressive. Mm -hmm. And you know what? If you have time on your side, great. You're putting money to work, okay. But if we can, if we can sidestep some of this, not all of it, and then find an avenue to get back in, I think we can make an argument that's probably a better case. Not going to be all or nothing because, look, we know – Right now, it's very easy to be bearish and to say, hey, we're good with nothing. But how long are you good with nothing? And then all of a sudden, this market has ran up. Mm -hmm. And then now you want to get back in. Right. Maybe you've missed a lot of it. But what if you're in distribution mode? You're one of those people that's been down significantly. What's the impact? You're taking funds out. So now it's magnified. The losses are even much more. And now many people, I mean, we've heard... It's just like the guy who's ready to retire. They haven't done a lot of planning. And they'll call in and say, we have to get super aggressive in the market. I'm like, well, I think we can make the argument. Maybe we shouldn't be super aggressive in the market. We should be super aggressive with our savings. And you alluded to that last segment. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a big part of it is that understanding where you are in your life cycle, what are these funds for? You know, I invest for long term because you're right. You want to keep up with inflation so that you don't erode your purchasing power. And many people look at it as a casino to go get rich longer term. But you're doing it for, you should be doing it for financial freedom, security, meeting those objectives, uh, whether that be early retirement, to do the things that you want to do over time and not have to see these funds eroded. And so it's a really difficult conversation. I think a lot of times, Lance, is that so many people, you hear, and everybody has a different strategy, you know, Hey, get all the way in. And then when it hits this technical indicator, we're going to get all the way out. And many times, I mean, we saw that happen over the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. 
things change so quickly, you could miss out on a ton. Yep. And, and look, and here's the, here's the other thing about, so let, let's just break this down into a simpler you know, conversation as well is just talking about time in the market for a second. And this is kind of the, the mainstream mantra. Just just buy some S&P indexes and just, you know, stay in the market long term. So, again, let's go back to our original premise. The reason we invest is to grow our savings at a rate of inflation over time. So here's the problem with just being in the market and buying and holding. Last year's a good example. So market's down 20%. So let's just assume this year that the market's up 20, you know, well, you're going to be up, you know, 26%, 27% to get back to even this year. So you have to have the really big return to get back to even from where you were in January of 2022. Okay, here's the problem with this. So now I'm buying and holding and I'm just writing this down and writing it back up. Now I'm back to even. And so what you'll hear from the mainstream media is that, hey, see, you're back to even. Well, here's, there's two problems with this. One, the goal is, is to grow my savings at the rate of inflation over time. Well, inflation has been rising in 2022 and 2023. It may slow down. The rate of increase may slow down, but it's still rising. So the purchasing power of my dollar or my savings has been going down for the last two years. And yes, now I'm back to even, but inflation is still higher than it was when I got back to even. So that rate of return that I needed to keep up with the pace of inflation isn't there. And so now I've got to the next year, I've got to make up and let's just let's just say that my goal is and, and you, you can run your own financial goal, whatever it is, but you've got a hurdle rate. It's what we call a hurdle rate in our in our shop. And it's a number that you kind of need every year to make sure that your savings grow to where you need it to be to retire on. And that includes inflation and all these other factors that we include variability of markets, etc. But so what let's just say this hurdle rate is 6%. Just I'm throwing out a number. So I needed 6% growth in January and, and 2022. I didn't get it. I get back to even in 2023 from 2022, but I still didn't get my 6% growth for 2023. So going into 2024, I've got to have 6% growth from 2022, 6% growth from 2023, uh, 2020, yeah, 2023. Both of those 6% rates compounded, by the way, for growth of 6%. And I need to get 6% growth in 2024. That's the problem with buying and holding and riding markets is that what people forget is that, yes, you may match the benchmark, but every time you have these drawdown years that are significant, I'm not talking about 1% or 2%, but when you have a 20% drawdown in a year like we had last year, or you're down more than that, everybody forgets you've got to add back in all those years of compounded growth that you didn't get during those down years. And that's the problem with time in the markets. And now we'll talk about when we come back timing the market to try to alleviate some of that risk. Don't go away. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Is your partner cheating on you? Financial infidelity is a relationship buzzkill and a wealth destroyer. Just in time for Valentine's Day, our next Candid Coffee will address how to avoid financial infidelity. Saturday, February 11th with Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff. Build trust, improve your money talk, and pillow talk. Register today at realinvestmentadvice.com. How to avoid financial infidelity. Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso. realinvestmentadvice.com. 
Real Investment Show. to the show this morning of course uh, so time in versus timing the markets and you know this is the, the you know this is the interesting conundrum that comes in and again as we talked about early on you know once you pick a side you know like I'm just time in the, I'm a time in the market guy I'm just going to buy and hold and ride this thing out you know the, the problem is the loss of compounding over time and you know this is a very critical aspect of investing you know a lot of the buy and hold crowd will throw out this you know commentary that says well you know compounding is the eighth wonder of the world this is a true statement. Compounding of capital is very important. And the first year that you lose money, you have destroyed the whole power of compounding. So compounding truly only works in investments where you cannot lose money. In other words, I buy a bond and every year it kicks off, you know, 5%, whatever it is. I can truly compound my capital that, that way because I'm never going to I'm going to have a 5% return every year on that money. I'm never going to have a down year. So I can mathematically calculate the compound growth of money over time at 4%, 5%, 6%, whatever it is. But as I said, as soon as you have a down year where you're down 10%, 15%, 20%, 30%, 40%. And again, uh, there's a study out recently by Schwab, I believe, that showed that average retail investors last year were down 35%. The market was down 20 So once you're down 20 30 35%, You've destroyed years of compounded growth that now you've got to get back to even. But again, what everybody forgets, and as we touched on in the last segment, is they forget about you still have you're you're losing the growth rate you were supposed to have in those years where you were down. And so you've got to make all that up. And this is why applying some measure of risk management to portfolios, and this is why you know we're so adamant about looking at technical analysis and, and you know understanding the fundamentals and these type of things and marrying these two things together is to limit that downside draw because if I can limit the downside, and look, when markets are down, you're going to be down. There's no way around that, especially in a year like last year where everything was down. Stocks were down, bonds were down, everything was down. Real estate was down, et cetera. So in a year where everything is, every asset class is down for the most part, you're going to be down. That's just unless you just happen to be all in cash, but that's a very difficult thing. But if you can limit that downside by understanding how market dynamics work and applying a bit of risk management to the portfolio, then it leaves you with a much greater ability to quickly recover and get back to the level of compounding returns over time and catching back up to that growth rate that you need to reach your financial goals. We don't advocate ever being all in or out, all out of the markets. We said earlier, just that's an impossible uh, pony trick to try to do that consistently. You may get lucky once, may get lucky twice, but to consistently time the markets and being all in or all out doesn't work. But you can effectively manage risk in the markets by increasing or reducing exposure, which is what we talk about here on the show a good bit. And again, take a look at where the market is right now. We've gone too far, too fast this year. We're going to have a correction. This is a great time to take some profits out of your portfolio. We did that last week, took some money off the table. When we get a correction, we're going to add a lot more equity risk to the portfolio because the technical suggests we should do so. We're not there yet, but we're that's that's kind of the next leg of what's going to happen. So again, you know, these are this is this is the important thing is that in order to reach our goal, we've got to really do two things. One, we've got to manage the risk of loss, and two, we have to grow capital to meet meet our goals. 
And those goals have to be realistic. Um, I was asked a question by um, in, a, in a podcast on Monday. You know what's you know what's the important thing to being a good client? You know for an advisor, and the the most important thing to be a good client for an advisory firm, any advisory firm, us, anybody, is to have realistic goals. And if your goals are unrealistic, your expectations are unrealistic, your outcome is going to be disappointing because you can't achieve the unrealistic. As long as you have realistic objectives and goals, you can manage the markets and you can navigate risk and you can grow wealth over time to meet to meet those goals. And that's why Danny does and and, and Richard both. Uh, this is why they spend so much time doing financial planning, looking at variable rates of return, inflation adjusting, those type of things to make sure expectations and goals line up properly. Well, and I think I think the realistic goals aspect is certainly a huge part of it, and, and also holding true to what those objectives are and, and expenses. Right? I mean, we talked to a lot of people that you know we're looking at plans this time of year and saying, "Hey, how did everything go last year?" And a lot of times we're seeing people spend more money, mm-hmm. and and sometimes that's called inflation. Well, no, 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 it's not just <laughs> inflation, right? And there are people who actually cut back and still spent the same amount of money, but there's a lot of people that sometimes you're you're trying to find your way and understand what you're doing in retirement. You're stepping into something new, right? We've been accumulators. Now we're distributors and you're expected to flip the switch. And a lot, oftentimes we spend a little more than what we anticipate. So the other part of that is finding, is this an actual trend? Is this something that's going to continue? Or is this a one-time deal? We're going to have these, these one-off type of situations. So not only is it realistic goals, but also the communication aspect saying, Hey, you know what? We did spend a little bit more. All right. What does this look like? Let's start going back year over year. Are we continuously doing this? Well, here's what the overall impact is to the plan, because now we're not being realistic within the plan. And that communication aspect is crucial. Also, I think it's really good to understand, to make sure that we have a really good understanding as far as risk tolerance. You know, we do some uh, risk, more behavioral type of surveys. You know, everybody, you walk into any investment firm and they're going to require that you fill out some type of questionnaire. And a lot of times it's going to say, if the market does this, what do you do? The market does that, what do you do? And when the markets are great, everybody's all in. When the markets are terrible, everybody's in the bunker. And so what inevitably happens afterwards is that you're invested either too aggressively or too conservatively or too aggressive. Now all of a sudden markets, they fall off and you say, oh my gosh, I am not this aggressive. Why are we down so much? Or the opposite. You're in the bunker because things have been so bad. Things turn. Your portfolio never makes that shift. And so you're saying, why do we miss out on so much? And that's another good point as far as why we can actually at times over allocate to equities in portfolios. So we're not static. I mean, if you've been following long enough, you guys understand that we're going to overweight a traditional model at different times when the wind's at our back. We're also going to underweight in bad years similar to last year. Mm-hmm. So it's not static. But even with that being said, communication is key. So we understand, you know, how you feel. And then we can say, okay, that's a valid point. Now, here's the reason we're investing in this manner. Here's what we think. And like right now is a really interesting time, right? Mm-hmm. You mentioned you talk about technicals versus fundamentals. Fundamentals have been relatively bearish versus technicals, which have been extremely bullish. And a lot of people are saying, well, hey, this looks like 2000. Uh, this looks like 2008. You know, everybody's looking and, and we're, we're looking back in time and saying, well, this is fairly similar in a lot of ways. Maybe, maybe not. So, you know, you mentioned that, okay, we get some opportunity here. It may be a really prime time to add some exposure. But also, if we fail at support, 
what are you going to do then? You're going to reduce exposure, right? Right. And I think that's one thing that, that a lot of people need to understand when investing. You don't have to be all in or all out, but you're going to mitigate risk at different times. We can't avoid it. So a lot of people say, well, you guys are down. That's right. You mentioned everybody was down. Bonds were down 13. S&P was down 18. NASDAQ down 32. But we're able to mitigate risk along the way, find other alternatives to be defensive. And right now, we've got one foot that I'd say is you know, relatively growth-oriented, the other foot that's pretty conservative and significantly underweight bonds, underweight stocks, with opportunity to increase either along the way, which I think is, is going to be crucial in this environment. And who knows? I mean, the Fed, you know, what did you think about yesterday, Lance? The Fed comes out and says, uh, basically alluded that they're going to continue to probably hike, albeit at lower rates. Right. Yet the market goes up. Yeah. It's just because the, the market is hell bent on a pivot by the Fed and a return to QE. And as I said at the opening this morning, is that the, the statement is actually fairly hawkish. Um, markets keep looking past it going, okay, well, okay, he only hikes two more times. Uh, the terminal rate for Fed funds is now the highest level it's been, period, over the last two years, um, well over 5% now. That should be scaring the bazookas out of the markets, but it's not, right? The markets are just hell-bent on this pivots coming sooner than later, and yet the Fed is saying, we're, we're going to hike rates more to combat inflation. That employment number was a good example of that. And we're going to leave it there. And I don't think the markets have fully accounted for that tighter monetary policy yet. Yeah, I, I agree. But, you know, you did mention something earlier that I think that helps p people put things in perspective. You mentioned the financial plan yeah. and the hurdle rate. And this is a great time to look back at this. You know, even in times when we had we, we have a down year like, like last year, we're assuming within the financial plan that these events are going to occur. And we're going to have some bad markets. We're going to have volatility. And... We want to make sure that portfolios withstand that. We assume for higher inflation at different times. And we establish a hurdle rate, which therefore gives us a little bit of a, a peace of mind as well. Say, okay, you know, it's really high. Okay, what do we need to do to get to, to achieve this hurdle rate? Well, we probably need to, to save more, right? That human capital is extremely important. And you mentioned that in the first segment. You putting funds aside is a big part of, of what you do as far as saving for retirement. We can't let the market do all the work. But the caveat that there's going to be times it's going to go against us, we have to be prepared. We cannot assume that we're going to take a recession out of the business cycle, right? I know it feels like that, but it's going to be there. And markets are going to react to it. And a lot of times they'll front run it. So the other caveat is that when we find out that we're in a recession, that's, that's yesterday's news. We're looking backwards. And the market may be looking forwards, and that's the tough part about being all in or all out, is that many people just can't. When we get that news, the market may say, you know what, the light's at the end of the tunnel. We're full steam ahead. <laughs> but the information we're getting is from months ago. Right. And now they're saying, well, this doesn't make sense. Well, if we're looking backwards, maybe. But we got to look in the, uh, you know, look through the windshield. Yeah, and that's, and that's why managing money is very hard. Because a lot of it's guesswork. I'm not growing any more hair <laughs> these days. Come on. They have cures for that. Um, I hear, I hear. All right. So get ready to wrap up the show. Be sure you go by our website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Michael Leibowitz's latest article is out. Soft landing or recession is the title of that article. It's on the website now, realinvestmentadvice.com. While you're there, make sure and subscribe to our newsletter. It comes out every weekend. It also will get you our Tuesday take that comes out on Tuesdays. 
which is why it's called Tuesday Take. And make sure you subscribe for the Before the Bell channel. It's all at the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. But that gets you access to our three-minute video that comes out every morning before the market, our daily commentary, also on the website as well. Subscribe to all of it. It's all good free information for you. It's all at the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. See you back here tomorrow.